You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DNB Supply Radio Show. Hey, this is your host, Matt Breckwald, and thank you so very much for being here with us again today. Well, there is a model of farming and there's a model of purchasing food, produce, meat, whatever it may be called a CSA, Community Supported Agriculture. And this is a model of doing this that I've wanted to profile on the show for some time just to expose all of you who may not be as familiar with this concept to what it is and how it works. Today, we've got a special guest coming on, Dan Meyer, the owner of Morning Owl Farm, with an exciting transition in farming coming up for what he's been doing. And he's going to talk to us all about this concept and kind of give us just some some vision and some inspiration on farming with what he's been doing. Really interesting interview, and we'll have it coming up for you here in just a moment. Dan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. You bet. I have been excited to speak about this for a while. This is a model of farming and agriculture that is of of great interest. It's a really cool way of doing things, and I really appreciate you being willing to come on and discuss it. Yeah, I I love talking about it. Okay. Well, what I want to do is I want to first introduce you to our audience, and so our audience can kind of get an idea of who they're listening to and and why you're the person to listen to about CSAs and and everything that goes along with that. If we could, could you just kind of give us a brief introduction of you, uh, where you come from, what you do, and and what your experience is? Yeah, I kind of have a a bit of a weird story, I think. I I don't have any real agricultural background. I've been doing this small farming thing for about 10 years now, really nine. But uh, I got a degree in business management from Boise State and didn't really know what I wanted to do. But I was reading a lot of like Michael Pollan and Wendell Berry at the time and Mm -hmm. thought I'd really like to get in on this ag thing, like the local ag thing, but in more than just a consumer aspect, I, I want to be a producer. And so I apprenticed on a farm, Morning Owl Farm, the one I happened to take over. And I just fell in love with it right away, that land in particular, and just the, that kind of work. And so I've been doing that ever ever since. And um, it, it's gone through a couple of iterations and um, a couple seasons. It was very nearly just a hobby farm. I wasn't making much money off of it, doing mm-hmm. other things part time, but always had at least something going up there since since then so yeah i've owned and operated morning owl farm since 2012 and i apprenticed there and worked there a couple years before that um and just was in a uh, got really lucky and was in a position to take over for the gal who started it so i consider myself very fortunate and um, that, that's kind of my background and how i got into the whole small farm well, very cool. You know, that brings up a whole nother rabbit hole we could chase down, which we won't. But uh, you said you had no you had no experience in agriculture. So you went and you did an apprenticeship. And that is just a wonderful way to learn an industry you're, you're interested in. Yeah, especially with this kind of work, just just getting out there and doing it and, you know, doing a couple different farms, too, um, because, I mean, there's really no one right way to do this thing. So there's so many different ways to do it, so many different models and you know, the styles of growing and styles of farm and, and who you're marketing to and all that stuff. So you can, it, it, the sky's the limit in terms of, you know, the different ways you can go about it. Well, what was Morning Owl Farm when you took it over and how did it transition over time and what's it look like today? Yeah. So Morning Owl Farm used to, I mean, it, the whole time it was, it was mostly a CSA farm and then we added a duck egg operation. So we've currently, we've got about 85 ducks 
And at the height of it, I think we may have had closer to 200 at one point. Mm-hmm. And it's for the duck eggs. And, and they're awesome. It's a really cool niche market for the bakers, especially like them. But there's also a lot of people who can't have chicken eggs, but can have duck eggs. So, you know, egg allergies and stuff. And, and they're also just really popular. They're, they're a little richer than a regular chicken egg. And, but they, um, you just use them like a, like a chicken egg. So, you know, people really like that. So I'd blow through those at the co-op. I can't keep them on the shelves. <laughs> um, so that's been a real kind of thing for us, but yeah, it's mostly been the CSA. Um, and I also over the last couple of years have done, um, added some seed production for the snake river seed cooperative. And so I grow some seeds for them. And that's been a, a cool little side project to just kind of integrate into the farm. And, you know, it, it, over time, you know, a couple of years, like I, I mentioned, the, the CSA kind of went away um, and I did some wholesale stuff. But uh, for the most part, yeah, it's been CSA. And at one point, we even had a year-round CSA where we partnered up with a ranch and, and had meat as part of it. Um, they got like, you know, 10 pounds of beef and pork a month that mm-hmm. alternated. And so that was really great um, as well. Interesting. Now, you mentioned the Snake River Seed Cooperative. So what kind of seed were you growing or do you grow for them and and what do they sell? They sell, I mean, you can find their seeds in, you know, a a bunch of places in town as well as just on their website. But uh, it's really just a a local seed company. And I've done a handful of crops. I've done like Thai basil. I've done a couple tomatoes, a few peppers. Let's see what else. Oh, I've done some eggplant. Uh, there's a handful. So um, that it's just kind of a fun project to be a part of. Yeah, that does sound fun. Well, that's interesting. And and I understand that now you are transitioning, right? You you have a new opportunity that this has all led to for you to continue with agriculture. Yeah. So as with a lot of um, these younger, small farms, I don't own the land at Morning Owl. And and that is probably going to be going away here in, in a couple, I mean, at the most a couple of years. So kind of transitioning out of it, like, for instance, not getting any more ducks mm-hmm. as part of the operation. And so just kind of dwindling that down and, and, and scaling back where I can. Um, I'm doing seed crops this year for Morning Owl. I'm doing a corn and Thai basil again, and, uh, a tomato and a hot pepper. But yeah, so real simple operation out there now. And that's because I, um, I landed a gig starting a farm out in uh, the new development in Dry Creek. I pursued it because the developer out there talked about it being a farm-to-table community. And, you know, a, a lot of developments, you know, pay a lot of lip service to that stuff, but there's really no follow-through. And there's, you know, obviously typically no farm and no farmer out there doing anything that's, you know, for the subdivision itself. But Mm -hmm. I took the job and as kind of a way to, you know, hold them accountable to their, you know, advertisement claims and yeah, and they're doing it. So um, I I got this gig at um, starting a farm for Dry Creek Ranch and they're basically paying me and and paying to, to set up this farm as an amenity for the subdivision. So in the same way they like, you know, a community is going to build a pool. This community has a farm. Um, and I, I just think that kind of model is something that's, that can be really cool moving forward. Cause I really think we got to start thinking about our, our dwelling places and, and building, you know, better communities that are um, centered around this kind of thing. So it's pretty exciting you know, spinning a little bit uh, about it. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, I think it's got some potential to, you know, 
uh, help foster more more of this kind of thing around Idaho and and the country really wow that's quite a concept so you'll be you'll be managing a farm that will be growing food to feed the people yeah and who... it'll primarily be a CSA okay um, operation yeah well you know I wanted to highlight both of those things because it's it's really interesting in that you started out with no agricultural experience you went out and you found a way to gain it and now you've gained enough credibility that you're in charge of this this new project and this new concept here in the Treasure Valley. Yeah, it's uh like I said I'm I'm spinning and you know it, it, the, the growing part is kind of the easy part. You know, it, it, in the end this whole thing it, it is a business. So like my business degree ended up helping out a lot cuz I mean this whole time, you know, a small farmer's doing the marketing the, the, you know, the, the crop management, the employee management, all that kind of stuff. So it's more than just, you know, um, growing crops. I mean, growing the crops is kind of the easy part. And, you know, with, with in the past, you know, you know, you deal with loss all the time, especially, I, you know, I grow organically. I, I don't certify because I'm direct to consumer mm-hmm. um, and I can show people how I'm doing stuff. But growing organically, you're going to have some loss. But because I'm a CSA, I'm also so diverse that if I lose a couple crops, you know, that's OK, because I got, you know, other stuff mm-hmm. um, to, to put in the bag. So the growing part is kind of the easy part I, I kind of talk about or, or say, but it's the other stuff is, is kind of what makes it difficult. Well, let's take our first break. That was a great introduction. When we come back, let's let's start talking about what a CSA is and, and how this concept works and teach people about it, okay? All right. Feeding your pets lifelong health starts with science, and that's exactly what's behind Hills Science Diet. Made by vets, scientists, and nutritionists, Hills Science Diet offers biology-based nutrition for all pets with formulas for every age, size, and special requirement or need, like joint health and weight loss that create differences you can see, feel, and trust. No wonder it's the number one veterinarian-recommended pet food. So pick up Hills Science Diet at D&B Supply today. Say you were to ride off into the sunset. Ideally, what kind of boots and clothes would you be wearing? For horseback riders of all styles, nothing beats the look and performance of Ariat. Available at DMB Supply. Everyone from famous rodeo cowboys to country music legends to equestrian Olympians. Turn to Ariat with confidence. You can count on them too. Think of Ariat as your ultimate riding companion for the life and times in the West. When you need to better outfit your ride with Ariat, stop by your favorite DMB Supply. All right, Dan. Well, now that we're back, let's talk about CSAs and let's start off extremely rudimentary. What in the world does that stand for? Yeah. So CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture, and it, it's pretty simple. Basically, customers pay upfront for the produce that they're going to get weekly throughout the growing season, and then you know we we just we had you know morning owl farm tote bags, and um, it, you know we did we had a delivery, but a lot of CSAs are pickup at the farm or at a drop off point, mm-hmm. and there's a specified day and time and you pick up the bag or you have the bag delivered on that day. And, and then, you know, the next week you'll get another bag. And it's like I said, whatever's growing at the farm at the time. So, you know, in the spring, it's a lot of greens, you know, your spinach, arugula, kale, chard and lettuce. And, you know, then that kind of transitions away a little bit when it gets hot, but then you got the tomatoes and peppers and onions and and everything else coming, the squash, you know, later in the season. So, Mm -hmm it's a good way to get the whole gamut of produce and it helps people to really get creative in their cooking and, 
yeah, it's a, it, it's a cool way to become in, you know, really you're getting a share of the farm and you're sharing in the risk of the season with the farmer. And it's just a really way to get intimate with uh, the food that you're eating. Why do they call it community supported? I think because it, it gives the farm operating income when it needs it the most at the beginning of the season, but when typically a farm's not getting any income at all. So, you know, a lot of times I think February and March might be the top. That's when most people join up in a C, on a CSA. Mm-hmm. And so they're obviously not going to be getting food for a while, but they've paid the, you know, usually it's around $500 or so for the season. And so the, the farmer gets that money then when they need it, but the customer isn't getting any food yet. I, I don't know how, who, like where the term came from or anything like that, that um, kind of the etymology of it, but uh, th- that, I think that's kind of why it's called that. But I mean, it really is just a, you know, like a prepaid transaction and, you know, calling it community supported agriculture. It's just, I think just kind of highlights how um, it, like, like I was saying, how intimate it is with the, with the farm Mm -hmm. and the, and the end eater. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously you're selling to people in your local community and they're paying you up front so you can do it. So it seems like a symbiotic relationship there and lots of community support. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, there've been a couple of years where, um, you know, that the, sometimes the bags aren't as full as I'd like them to be. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's just kind of part of the whole sharing in that risk. Like I said, yeah, it's yeah. A, a good way to do that. But you also share in the bounty because there have been, you know, the biggest complaint that most small, you know, CSA farmers get from customers is that it's too much produce. Oh, really? uh, which is funny, but yeah, um, you kind of have to be careful. You have to be conscious and, you know, go through that bag every week. Cause you're getting another bag, you know, the next week. Yeah. And if you don't, if you hadn't eaten that spinach and you get more spinach, it's like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then people feel bad cause they're, you know, throwing stuff away. But in reality, they've, um, you know, it, it, if you're just conscious of, and you're, you're eating at home most nights, mm-hmm. most people have no problem getting through it. But like, it's just, it, it is kind of funny that that is the biggest complaint of the CSA is that it's too much produce. <laughs> you know, that's, that's funny. And so let me ask you this. So before this transition started with Morning Owl, why did they choose this model of farming? Why do farmers choose the CSA model? I think a couple of reasons. Uh, some of it is social, like, and you know, they do want to, you know, be have that relationship with the with the customer, something that's more intimate than even like a farmer's market, and and certainly more intimate than you know selling wholesale to a restaurant or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are coming out to the farm. You know, a lot of times I, when people would pick up their stuff, I you know I'd show them around. They'd hang out with the ducks for a little while, and you know they'd bring their kids and and have them like you know pull up a carrot and stuff and see where like really where their food comes from. Sure. So there's that aspect, that relationship aspect, but it also is just a good model, especially starting out to get that income at the beginning of the season, so that you can you know get everything going. I do think it's important to be kind of diverse and also have a, a market or sell wholesale um, so that you are continuing to get income throughout the, um, the season. Cause if all you're doing a CSA come August, you're doing all this work, you know, it's really hot and you're sweating like crazy and you're really not getting any income. Mm-hmm. So it is important to be kind of diverse, but the, the CSA is kind of the bread and butter for a lot of people um, doing the small farming thing. And that's that is it's because of the relationship and it's because of the, um, 
the way that you, you get capital at the beginning of the season. Well, let's take our second break. When we come back, I've got more questions for you about this. I want to know, well, I want to know how this all worked because I know it's so much work to get it done. All right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Carhartt makes gear to get you through anything. So DMB Supply offers a wide selection to outfit any day, any task, and any weather. Built to stand the test of time and have your back no matter what comes your way. Carhartt clothing keeps you comfortable all day long. And for extra hard jobs, check out Carhartt Force, the line that wicks sweat, fights odors, releases stains, and works as hard as you do to outlast them all. Get decked out in Carhartt at DNB. The chicken or the egg? DNB knows what comes first. It's Neutrina Nature Wise Layer Chicken Feed which leads to both a healthier chicken and fresh, hard-shelled eggs. With over 90 years of experience raising healthy poultry, Neutrina NatureWise gives your hens wholesome, natural nutrition they can sink their beaks into. Free-range and home-raised flocks gobble this expertly designed and formulated layer feed in pellets and crumbles. So flock to your favorite D&B supply to pick up a bag of Neutrina NatureWise Layer Chicken Feed for balanced nutrition. All right, Dan. Well, let me ask you about this. So I, you're in this transition period, which I'm so impressed with because to me, I, I talk to people all the time who want to farm and you found a way to do it and you found a way to get other people to ask you to farm for them. I think it's great. When we're looking back at the height of the CSA at Morning Owl Farm, how many customers were you servicing? When we had that year-round meat one, we had 60 CSA customers. And, um, you know, we're only growing on about two and a half, maybe three acres at the most. I I don't even think I'd say that. I think growing space in the garden and it's kind of hard to measure because we're we're kind of two different areas. We had a lower garden, an upper garden, kind of a weird property. But, uh, you know, two acres really max, I guess, is what I'd say. So, you know, 60 customers, that's that's quite a bit, you know. So with this style of growing, you can produce a lot of food on a small amount of um, small amount of land. So yes. 60 at the height. And then I, I kind of averaged out more about 30 to 40. That was a little more comfortable. And we had the 60 when I was apprenticing at the time. And then mm-hmm. when I took over, I kind of put it at about between 30 and 40 was my kind of magic number. And then I was doing more wholesale stuff. Okay. I'm trying to be a little bit more diverse like that. So where were you wholesaling food to? A few restaurants in town uh, and, and really just the restaurants. I, I didn't do, like, I haven't done the co-op with, I do the co-op with the duck eggs, but not with produce. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of other awesome farms in the Valley that do a lot for the co-op. And so I just kind of focused on a, a few restaurants and, and growing what they wanted. And how many people did it take to keep it going at the height of the season? Did you have to bring on help? Yeah. And that, that kind of trend happened a lot. When we had the 60, I think we had three to four people, you know, and those two to three of them were real part-time, you know, just coming on harvest day or or whatever. But uh, the last few years, I've had one person working with me at the height of the season. And then we would also have, we had a couple work shares and that's something that's pretty common amongst CSA farms as well. If you don't want to pay like the $500, A lot of uh, farms will offer a work share where you, you come and either work the field or work on harvest and packaging day, and then you, you just get to go home with a bag. And so I, I had a couple of those as well that, that really kind of saved me on, on those busy, especially harvest days, because that can just be an all-day thing, harvesting in the morning and then getting everything packaged up for the, for the CSA. So that, uh, that's a, a common thing to see as well. 
So folks would actually come out and they would work for food. Yep. Yeah. And it averages out to about $25 a bag and that's over the season. So it just works out well if you put in about uh, two and a half hours because I try to give people the equivalent of about $10 an hour when they, when they come and work, mm -hmm. that was all they would need to work in order to get a bag. And then, you know, they also have the option if they wanted more of something, they could go harvest whatever they wanted really. So yeah, it's a, it's a really good way to, uh, and you know, they're always so happy to, to come help out and work and they think it's so cool. So, um, it's really a win-win for everybody. Do folks come and help just because they want to be involved in the production of their own food or is it is it a financial decision for them? I think it's both, but I guess it's more, I, I would say it's more on people just wanting to, to help out. At least that's the what they, they say to me. They love doing it. And, you know, sometimes I look at people funny, like after a real busy day in the middle of the summer, it's like, why are you coming out here? <laughs> well, that's great that people will come out and they'll work, you know, to produce their own food and to, to get involved. But uh, it's also great that there's an alternative out there for folks who can find a different way to get really good and healthy food without that high expense. Yeah. And especially all friends, and we, we would offer a, if people wanted to pay in a couple installments, that's fine. That makes it a little easier, but mm -hmm. uh, the cost is, is a barrier for a lot of people. And, you know, that changes the target market too, especially when we had the big year round meat CSA, that was like, uh, it's been a number of years since we did that one, but I think it was like two grand oh, wow. at the end of it. Cause they were getting a lot of meat um, throughout the year. So, mm -hmm. you know, that changes the target market. And a lot of those people were, you know, really busy and, but health conscious and wanted to eat healthy. So, and they were doing mostly, they wanted it delivered because, you know, both people in the home were, were working and, but they really appreciated it, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, so it, it's funny that the, the demographic that changes and like, so the, the people who would come out and work, you know, would be really into the work and, and wanting to get back to the land and stuff. So they really enjoyed that aspect of it. But also uh, the part of the draw, I think is, is the cost. I mean, that's a, I mean, I can't afford, <laughs> afford, you know, to just drop $500 in the middle of February. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you do pencil it out, it, it, it works out. And you're like, I'm going to be saving that much on groceries throughout the year. But, you know, a lot of people don't have that kind of cash just out there. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tough thing for a lot of people. But uh, there are other options like the work share if you want to get in on it. All right. Well, let's take another break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about uh, how, you know, kind of the ups and downs of agriculture and how the customers deal with that. All right. A well-worn pair of Danner boots has become a hallmark of hardworking and hard-playing people in the West, and everywhere else for that matter. Find your next pair of long-lasting, great-looking Danner boots at D&B Supply. Hold a Danner boot in your hand, and you'll notice the handcrafted precision. Try it on, and you'll feel the difference. Test it against the elements, and you'll appreciate the value of a product that's built to last. From classic hiking boots to handcrafted work boots to fashion-forward looks that fit your daily life, Stop on by D&B Supply to try Danner boots on for size. You wear jeans, but you live in Levi's. At D&B Supply, we've got a pair to fit you just right. Iconic and hardworking. Levi's are legendary. Worn by cowboys, rock stars, and everyday people, we carry different washes, styles, and sizes for both men and women. These jeans are ready for anything your day brings, from working outside to a night on the town. The denim legacy lives on every time you put them on. So pick up some Levi's at D&B. 
Well, Dan, you you brought this up a little bit earlier, but you know, I mean, it's farming. So sometimes you've got a lot of food, and sometimes you've got a little. When it comes to your relationship with your customers on a CSA, how do you explain to them that there's going to be more times than not you're going to have more than you can use, but it's farming, so you're paying this fixed amount, you're expecting something, but if we're having a bad year, there might be less food than than we initially expected. Yeah, so I, you know, up front, I, you're just kind of open and honest with everybody, and I, I, I'll say like you know, expect four to nine items per bag, you know? So it's a real big, I, I leave myself a real big, you know, buffer uh-huh. to, um, it'd be, it'd have to be a really bad week for me to only put four things in a bag. But I put that there, you know, just in case, cause there are certain times of year where that might happen. Uh, but most of the time I was more in the seven to nine range. And a couple of times, I think I even had like 12 things in a bag. You know, especially when you get into herbs and stuff, you know, you, you can start adding up a lot of <laughs> a lot of little things that, you know, you're not going to be giving for a while after that, you know. I, and I do a weekly email on, you know, what uh, what's going to be in the bag, you know, as the reminder to come get the bag or that to leave their cooler out if they're getting a delivery. And it, I'll, I'll talk about what's in the bag. I, I, sometimes I'll even include a couple recipes. I'll encourage people to send me recipes that I can share with the group next week. So, and I do at the beginning of the year, I remind people that, you know, sometimes it might be a lot of produce and, you know, be conscious of that fact and, and try to, you know, work through that bag sooner rather than later. One thing that I found myself doing when I first started was like, like, Oh, I want to save that spinach for a special meal. And then, you know, I'm so busy that it, that would never happen. (laughs) So it's like, no, you just got to use that spinach and whatever the heck you you're doing, you know, doing a smoothie in the morning or, you know, don't wait for like a special time to, to use that produce, use it. Otherwise you're, you're not going to get to it. Yeah. And especially because it's so fresh and, you know, raised or grown organically that the produce lasts a long time. So it can really build up you know, like, like spinach or something that you get from the store, it, you know, a couple weeks at the most, but like I've had spinach that I've grown that I found in a bag in the back of my fridge that's been like a month old and it still looks good. So it's kind of crazy how, how well the stuff lasts. And if you're not using it, man, it can really build up. So yeah, I just try to, you know, it just through the emails, encourage people to, to eat it up and mm-hmm. um, to do different creative things with it, you know, with recipes and stuff. Well now, you know, when you're doing that and you had food that you could not sell, or maybe you had an abundance and it was just too much, what would you do with the excess? That unfortunately that didn't happen too much. In the worst case scenario, it, it gets added to the compost pile, goes back to the earth, and I put it on the, you know, <laughs> I put it on the next round of crops type thing. But, you know, sometimes I would have to put out, uh, you know, in the email, hey, we have extra this, and I'd I'd sell it to the CSA people really cheap. And but, um, so not, not as much with the greens, but, you know, a lot of times I'd have, well, I mean, squash is kind of the classic. You just have way too much of in the summer mm-hmm. and everybody's got it. Cause you know, everybody grows their own. And I think August 1st is national leaf squash on your neighbor's door day. outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's like, you know, there, there's so much of, but you know, a lot of people like to process them. So honestly with the squash, I wouldn't even sell it to them. I'd just be like, Hey, you're getting squash this week and I got a ton. So if you want more, I'm leaving it out and just let me know or, and just grab however many you want. And, 
you know, then it was gold after that. Then it was fine. So that that's a good way to get rid of it. Yeah, it's, fun. um, it's funny you bring yeah. up squash. Uh, we, you know, we have a garden on our place in Cuna and we've had excess squash in the past and the pigs got to like squash pretty well. And then the next year we had, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the next year we had squash plants growing up in our pig pen. It was the, it was the most interesting oh, thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Volunteer, volunteer squash. Yeah. I got a couple of, uh, my neighbors got a couple of horses. And so like anytime I get a giant squash that I knew nobody else would want, I'd, I'd go feed it to the horses. And, and so, yeah, outlets like that are always great. So there's actually a national put squash on your neighbor's front step. There. I've heard that. I have no idea if that's true or not, but <laughs> I saw that once and I'm like, if that's not true, it should be because I mean, that, that's the classic thing. And the, you know, we, we were talking about different like crops that sometimes fail that squash, like the easiest thing to grow. I didn't give one squash to the CSA last year. Um, and that's because we had a horrible infestation of voles on our property. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of uh, development going in around me at uh, at Morning Owl, and it sent all the rabbits and the voles into my area. And every time the squash got almost ready to harvest, it'd just be totally hollowed out by these voles. And, you know, I'm not going to use poison on them. And, I, I mean, voles are tough because they're, you know, in the ground. You can set traps, but it's like little mouse traps. But yeah. If there's too many of them, there's not much you can do. And, and so not only it, they would eat the fruit itself, but also they were eating kind of the roots of the plants. And so <laughs> that, that's an example of, you know, I, I didn't give one squash to the CSA, but yeah. uh, I had an abundance of other things and nobody really noticed or complained about it. I think because, you know, like it, <laughs> it, most people have access to squash, whether from a neighbor or whatever. Sure. So it wasn't a huge deal, but yeah, that's an example of that. Well, let's take our final break. Uh, when we come back, I want to ask you about uh, your take on agriculture now and, and where you're going from here. Okay. All right. You already know Honda makes some of the most reliable, fuel-efficient cars on the planet. And that's just as true for Honda lawnmowers. The best thing about a Honda mower is it's a Honda, which means exclusive features like a 4-in-1 twin-blade cutting system that results in finer clippings for either bagging or when mulching, actually feeding your lawn for important nutrients. And it also means a highly fuel-efficient engine that's easier on the environment while you're sprucing up your environment. Plus, depending on the model, Honda residential mowers come with either a three- or five-year limited warranty. Shop Honda at select DMV supply stores in eastern Oregon and southern Idaho. Tired of choosing between feeding your lawn for a thick green turf and fighting annoying weeds? DNB Supply is here to help you do both with Scott's Turf Builder Weed and Feed. Sometimes feeding your lawn also means feeding unwanted weeds that have taken root. That's why Scott's developed Turf Builder Weed and Feed, which uses a weed killer while also feeding your lawn to crowd out the weeds. So get to the root of your lawn issues with Scott's Turf Builder Weed and Feed at your favorite DNB Supply. Well, Dan, this has been great. I've really enjoyed hearing about it. I, I've got a few questions for you. So I guess my first one is, you talked about really getting people signed up for the CSA in February and March. Is that a busier time or is farming a busier time? What's your busiest time of the year doing this? Probably right now, actually, trying to get everything in the ground. So, you know, our average last frost is May 10th. So after that, it's kind of, you know, you got to watch the forecast, but you're trying to get all the to make all the hot crops in now, mm-hmm. as well as kind of start the CSA. You know, most CSAs start around mid-May, 
So, which is kind of unfortunate. It's like the busiest time, and then you got to start harvesting and, and doing the bags. Yeah. But uh, you know, we we get it done, we get it in. But so this time of year is probably the busiest. And then you know, June, July, it's a lot of weeding. And then you know, I find that after kind of mid-August, the the weeds kind of stop coming quite as hard, and so mm-hmm. then I can just focus on the last plantings and the um, and just harvest. And that, you know, September, late August and September feels really good. And then, you know, we really get a couple months off if all we're doing is farming, which, you know, most people have other, other jobs and um, that, that'd be a topic for another time, but kind of one of the dirty secrets is like, it's real hard to do this without supplemental income. Uh So, uh, you know, people are, are juggling oftentimes part-time jobs. I've had a part-time job pretty much the whole time. This is really the first time I've been able to not have to do a part-time job while farming, which is pretty exciting and going to make the farm just that much better. Sure. So you would normally have a part-time job during farming, but you're not doing that now. But what about the off-season? Would you pick up work in the off-season? Yeah, and I'd, I'd switch that part-time to full-time in the off-season. And really the off-season for me was November through about, yeah, February, Mm -hmm. uh, beginning of February. That's when I really start, you know, kicking the greenhouse into gear and and getting stuff started. But yeah, that's kind of been my my schedule is, um, you know, real part-time on the other job in the summer or spring and summer. And then, you know, switch back to full-time in the winter. Well, such an interesting story. So you started out with no knowledge about farming. You got into it. You've mm-hmm. learned. Now you're being sought out by other people to farm for them. So what is it about farming that, that appeals to you? Why is this something that's grabbed you? I really like being outside and working with my hands. And I just I just like growing stuff. Uh, I'm pretty short. And so, you know, there's a lot of small farmer jokes and um, <laughs> hobbit jokes. And so I, uh, I, I, I kind of do see myself as a bit of a hobbit and, you know, just a love of things that grow. And I love the aspect of community and like, you know, like with the CSA, uh, really connecting people with their food. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I do like this new idea of building a farm is, you know, really integrating it into the community itself. And so that the farmer becomes almost like a, a community organizer in a way, in, in the sense of like getting people to come to the farm and interact with each other and, you know, be more neighborly and, and all that kind of stuff. That that really appeals to me and kind of why I've just kind of, I, you know, fell in love with the work and, and, and the stuff uh, so quickly. Well, very cool. I, I think it's great. And I'm excited to see how the concept at the at the Dry Creek development works out. I think it'd be great if if the community embraces farming and embraces agriculture because it's being done right there for them. Yeah. I, and I hope it becomes a model that can be emulated elsewhere. I think this is a great way for people, well, for farmers, especially who, you know, don't have the capital to buy land, mm-hmm. but still want to farm, you know, they developers have the ability to, to create something really beautiful and, and really um, enrich their communities, you know, that that's not too difficult for them to do, but is hugely helpful to farmers who, like I said, want to do this work, but just struggle to find the land to to be able to do it and to be able to do it for a while. Absolutely. Well, Dan, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing a bit about CSAs and about your history. I think it's inspirational and and so glad to to teach this concept to other people out there who are not familiar with it. Yeah, this has been great. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you all for joining us today, and here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the DNB Show, I'm Matt Breckwald. <laughs>